Welcome to the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 249 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Famous psychonaut, explorer, author and orator Terence McKenna was once asked to tell us something about machine elves. Machine elves are what he called those entities or some of those entities that he faced in the DMT realm. And this is what Terence McKenna replied. Well, I think they are the most mysterious of the anthropomorphic forms. They are not machines. They are not dolls. They are not things made out of matter. They are not made of light. They are not made of sound. They are not made of the electromagnetic spectrum. They are not made of any of these things. They are made of language. They are made of thought. I think that the problem of the machine elves is a very interesting problem because the history of shamanism is rife with examples of the use of entities to facilitate the transmission of information. They are a kind of artificial intelligence, a kind of human-machine interface. They are a way of communicating with the outside world. I find that very interesting that the machine elves are a kind of human-machine interface, a way of communicating with the outside world. And what's most interesting about this quote is that it's not really Terence McKenna who said it, because what it really is is an AI being Terence McKenna, a digital resurrected version of Terence McKenna created by Rob Capilli. And Rob is using the latest advances in machine learning to digitally resurrect Terence McKenna. With machine learnings, basically, computers figure out how to do things on their own. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so my name is Rob Capilli. I'm the founder of the Monterey Psychedelic Society. I used to be a software developer, but now I'm a filmmaker with my wife, so we work together as a, as a filmmaking team. Um, I teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and my latest project is The Digital Resurrection of Terrence McKenna. So there's been a lot of talk this year about what's known as deep fake. Is that part of this, that you can imitate Terrence McKenna's uh, voice? That is part of it, um, but it's only a part of it. So deepfakes are part of um, um, machine learning, but there's a lot of different things you can do. People have taken computers and taught them how to write like Shakespeare or other authors. People have um, learned to imitate voices. And they've also learned to generate faces so that computers can generate video that looks like someone. So the idea for this project was what what would happen if you took all of those different technologies and chained them together? What if you took a machine learning model that knew how to write like Terrence McKenna and then you took that output and you gave it to a model that knew how to speak like him 
and then you took the audio and gave it to another one that knew how to look like him, you would have an approximation of Terence McKenna's ideas that you know you could interact with. I've heard about those computers that write Beethoven's Tenth Symphony or new Shakespeare sonnets, but uh, I haven't really studied it that closely. But are they as good as the original? No, they're not. But if you're doing something like Let's look at the ways that we communicate nowadays, right? So if you have something like social media, the posts are not that long. Um, Twitter, the posts are you know only a couple characters. So it's not like you have to be good um, as long as you would for a longer work like that. You could generate shorter snippets that are actually pretty, pretty good. So it'd be like some digital Terence McKenna that has like the wisdom of the day kind of thing. Right. So you could, um, well, the whole idea is that you could, you, you couldn't really do this project with anybody. There's a couple special conditions that would need to be met. And one of them is that you have a lot of text and voice data. If you tried to, um, if you try to do something like this with someone who hadn't recorded tons and tons of lectures, you'd have a, diff a difficult time creating the training data that you'd need to approximate their voice. Um, Terrence has a lot of material out there. So you could take the text and the audio and use that to regenerate them. Someone who didn't have all that available, you wouldn't be able to do it the same way. I've heard that in the future you might only need like a couple of words when the technology is better. For, for simulating the audio? Probably. Um, there, there, there's a lot of different approaches that you can take in order to get it to sound like them. But more important than sounding like them is if you can get it to um, – and I mean by audio – is if you can get the thoughts and ideas to come out correctly. So you'll still need a lot of data to train on that in order to, to have it say something that sounds like it's Terence McKenna. There's one thing about saying philosophical uh, comments, but Terence McKenna also had a way of making it sound funny. Can, a, can a, an AI be funny? Hmm. I, I guess humor is subjective, right? So... So it can be. I mean, certainly this project has been funny, although not in the ways that you would expect. Like the first time I tried to generate audio, it was just a bunch of random noise. So that was funny to me. But in terms of the content that it generates, um, I think that it can. I don't know if um, if it gets to that point the same way that a human would, but it can generate output that is humorous, that is insightful. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that those things are out of reach. So the dark side of this technology, I mean, uh, there is a risk of you can't really ever in the near future trust what anybody says because it could be a script with an audio-generated AI or, or a video. Yeah, and I think that it, I think that we're at that point now. Um, we're in a slight window where it's arrived, and I don't think people realize it yet. But what you're talking about is the breakdown of consensus reality. Um, up to this point, we've kind of taken it for granted that um, what we, if we see it, if we see a video of it or if we hear it, then we can believe it. But that's not necessarily the case anymore. What do you think will be the parameters for knowing? I mean, like 50 years ago, if you saw somebody talking on TV, if they were using their eyes all over the place, looking everywhere or sweating or, you know, like talking in a avoiding questions you know you might think oh, well this guy's lying but like in 20 years from now 
what do you think could be the signs where you figure out that oh this is this is an AI this is not a human well that that's a big question that a lot of people are trying to answer and there are no real good answers for that my intuition is that you're going to start seeing things like um, some kind of a signing um, authority so if you see a video of me um, and I sign it let's say cryptographically or something like that then you can have a higher confidence that that is actually me since I signed it. And if a number of people that appear in the video have also signed it, then you can have higher confidence that maybe that this is authentic. Um, but outside of that, I don't think that there's like any kind of a solution that has said, okay, we've solved this. We can detect deep fakes. Um, it's, it's a very hard problem that I think corporations, governments, and individuals are all grappling with right now. One of Terrence McKenna's major ideas is something I also agree with. It's about uh, the only thing that's real is direct experience. So maybe in the future when this technology is uh, all over the place, uh, maybe the only thing that's real is if you meet a person face to face, you know, TV or internet is, you know, you shouldn't take it too seriously. Only facts that you experience directly, which removes, uh, you know, then you can't really fear monger or lie because you know it would be if i mean i don't know if china exists i've never been there <laughs> no that's that's totally true and it's it's interesting because if you think about some of the effects of technology right now um even though it's connecting people more and more people are also as a byproduct getting a sense of disconnection you know so this increase in availability and always having things you know information about your friends even though it, it technically is supposed to connect you people feel even more disconnected with it but if you keep going um like you're talking about right now it's possible that the breakdown of consensus reality will force you to connect to people more just so that you can trust that it's something real i've even told my wife that uh i can't say it uh because then i would ruin it but uh, certain code words and if I, if so, if because I've read these articles about if I call her and ask for money or something, or you know, uh, a code word, so she'll know that it's me and not somebody who's doing a scam, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's um, that's a, a really kind of basic form of the signing that I was talking about earlier. There has to be some way for you to verify that it's actually you. So it's hard to, to say now when we're in it, but uh, basically uh, it could be that within a very short span of time uh, there will be reality chaos. And I'm not sure most average people even are aware of this technology, so they might not even know that it's begun. Well, there's there's definitely going to be a split. It takes a lot of sophistication to even understand what the problem is. Um, and I think the average person is going to be vulnerable to people that are trying to manipulate them or control them using stuff like this. At the same time, I think that a lot of us have been subject, you know, subjected to this kind of um, surreptitious control. When you think about the ways that tech companies can manipulate the information that you see, the stuff that's presented to you in your feeds, um, they're not doing it naively. They all have um, a kind of goal behind it. 
it's just that the tool sets that they'll be able to to bring to bear are going to be even better. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are, are going to be subjected to technological manipulation, and it'll it'll take a lot of education and you know to help combat that. But it 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 requires a certain amount of sophistication. Like it's it's one of those things where it's difficult to even explain what the threat is. I think most people who like Terence McKenna would like to see him alive again, saying. Uh new things having new talks but um uh, do you do you think his uh, relatives will have an issue with him becoming digitally alive again i don't know and it's something that concerned me um i've reached out to them i reached out to his son and daughter that i could find um i reached out to his brother um it's it's difficult to get contact so before i even went forward with the project i sent all of them emails telling them look I, i'm going to try to train this this AI on Terrence McKenna's writings, um, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you feel about it? I haven't heard back from anyone, but I would love to. It's weird with Terrence McKenna because uh, he's the one of the few where nothing, except his actual books, but his speeches, none of them are really copyrighted and you never get in trouble using it. He must have uh, done something to release them Uh, um, without copyright because I've, there's never any copyright infringement if you use them and post them somewhere. Um, I'm not sure, but for the stuff that, that I'm working on right now, I don't even know how copyright really applies. I'm never actually publishing anything that he said. I'm just using the things that he said to train a model that can generate other new text that he might have said had he been asked today. So it's kind of a gray area where you're not taking someone's work, but you're using their extant work to um, generate other work that would be in their style. Yeah, that's true. The interesting thing with this technology is you can uh, read or hear about things that was impossible before. The, I guess the dangerous thing is you can make somebody say something they shouldn't say. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a conflicted technology. Do you, um, are you worried? I mean, you're not going to stop it anyway. But are you are you worried doing a good project with this technology might uh, just fuel the fire of the bad version of the technology? I don't know. I, I would divide that question into a couple parts. First of all, um, if you only use the the speech synthesis portion, you could make him say whatever you want to. Um, in his voice. So it would sound like he was saying something. But I'm not doing it that way. So the first step in the chain is to generate text from a model. So the text that comes out is something that hopefully he would have said. And so I'm not actually putting the words in his mouth, per se. Um, it's coming out of the model. And then that's being fed into a speech synthesis um, portion that will then talk like him. But in in terms of the the implications the ethical implications if people could use this as like a trojan horse and say hey look there's a there's a good project so we should accept this and then they turn around and use it to say bad things um i don't think that i'm anywhere close to the forefront of this i think that the technology that's pushing all of this stuff forward is like porn right it's like celebrity deep fakes where you have people that are taking Um, celebrities' faces and put the, putting them on porn stars' bodies, and that's obviously an ethical violation. And it's by far the most popular application of this technology. So, I, I would say that the quote-unquote bad uses are the ones that are the most popular right now, 
and the ones that are leading the way forward. So I don't think that there's a possibility that a good project like this um, is even in the conversation in terms of adoption. I think adoption is going to be led by stuff like porn, where you know people are going to do what they're going to do regardless of the ethics of it. Could you make the AI talk as Terence McKenna, or you know, write something and then talk uh, about a specific topic? Could you like guide it to well talk about this topic and then it goes free flow? Um, I can't right now. Like it. Um, so the way that it works is it you can give it a prompt right you can give it a prompt and it can generate text or it can just generate text randomly on its own but there's no way to control where it goes even if you put in the same prompt over and over it will not say the same thing so there's no way to to really well at least i don't control what it says um and it never says the same thing twice so it there there's a lot of randomness in there and you know the the technology is not self-aware, so it's still weird uh, that it says something, but it's not really yet anyway alive. But it sounds so. It's like uh, when I have a daughter and she's playing with her dolls or whatever, and she if she abuses the doll, it almost looks like it hu- it's hurting but it's not real but because it looks real you kind of project it's real uh, and the same with this technology like if you will uh, suspend your disbelief when you hear this digital Terence McKenna speak you probably will forget it's not Terence McKenna well it, there, there's a couple parts to that when it first started generating text I was skeptical I mean I was very excited it, it took a long time to get to the point where I could actually train it to say anything. I mean, I'm talking about generating text. And then when I first started asking it questions, I was I was skeptical if it would actually say anything or if it would just be a bunch of gibberish. And when it started saying some things that sounded coherent and like Terrence McKenna, it was pretty awesome. I was extremely excited about that. Um, and... The, the the good thing about the speech technology is that's one of the harder parts of this. So there's no way you're going to mistake what this is saying at this point for Terrence McKenna. It still has a fairly robotic voice. The prosody of the voice, like, you know how Terrence had that nice rhythm where he would pause and the way he inflected? Um, that, I haven't been able to replicate that with a model yet. I, I'm going to need, um, right now I'm being limited by, by hardware. So I need to get a better um, setup to train it. But you won't mistake it for him yet, but you could. And I think that's one of the good things though, right? Um, it would just be nice to hear new things that he had to say um, on new topics. And I, I yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I don't, I don't imagine that um, it would be abused in any way. I think it would be comforting. Um, like if you, if you're talking about dolls and yelling at them, at the same time, sometimes it's nice, you know, kids have like a security doll that they hold and it makes them feel happy. Um, and comforted. So being able to interact with new versions of these ideas, I think, would be comforting for a lot of people. Is this technology also going to be possible to experience in virtual reality? I hope so. That's the ultimate goal, right? So if you, um, right now, it's all very, you know, separated. So I have one thing that generates text, and then you take the text and you generate audio. But you could easily make that seamless so that you – let's say you put on a virtual reality headset or you have a hologram, right? You project a hologram. Um, you say something. What you said 
is translated by speech recognition. It's fed into the generator that does text. Um, that goes into the audio generator. It goes into the, you know, the video stuff, comes out, and he talks back to you. So your experience would be you say something, and the digital Terrence McKenna says something back. How long have you been working on this project? This one? Um, a couple months. A, a couple months. I was, it was something that I just thought of one night. And I thought, how cool would that be? And then I got really curious. Like, I wonder what it would say. I wonder if it would be possible. But I didn't think that I'd be able to do it because I don't have a very powerful computer. Um, you need a lot of processing power in order to make these things. Like um, a lot of the companies that are using machine learning models, when they train them, they, they spend – you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in resources in order to get them up to a production level. So I thought it was out of reach. But I was able to find some cloud computing resources that I could use to train it um, and was able to get some decent results with what I had for, for free. So, um, you know, I've only been doing it for a couple months. But so far, the results are pretty promising. Do you need uh, programming skills for this or uh, how advanced is it? So it's, it's, it's very advanced and it's not that advanced. The, the interesting thing about programming is like when people, when people think about computers, usually they think about programming, right? They think about, you, you know, you type in some code, you run the code, and then the computer does something based on, on what you told it to do. So it follows instructions. But machine learning is not like that at all. Um, you set up parameters and you give it data and then – the computer learns how to do things on its own um, in, in kind of a trial and error format. So you're not specifically programming it to do anything. You're not telling it how to do these things. Um, it is learning how to do these things over many, many iterations of trying and failing. So it, it's very human-like um, in that respect where you know we learn – like when you're a baby, you learn how to walk, you fall, you stumble, you crawl. And slowly through all those failures, you get better at it. And you know what you're trying to do. You're trying to stand up. You see people doing it. That, that's in, in a large sense how machine learning works except at a much accelerated pace. But somebody must have programmed the computer to do the machine learning. Right. So you have algorithms that will go over the data, and it depends what methods that you use. Um, but you kind of just set the parameters. So, so you're trying to teach it to, to add something. Um, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. So you'd put in some – you'd say, okay, this is the answer is 4, and then it would try to do something. It would be like, is it 8? You'd be like, no, that's way off. And you'd be like, is it 2? No, it's closer. Um, is it – seven you know and it'll slowly kind of hone in on an answer and then when it gets really close to the answer you know that whatever it's trying to do you don't necessarily know but that method is is starting to be you know it's starting to work now so that that's kind of the process that sounds logical with math because you can like maybe supply it with the correct answer or something but w when it comes to sounding like somebody else wouldn't it i mean how would it know that now i sound like Terrence McKenna. So um, for, in terms of the sound, you need a lot of data, right? You need a ton of data, which was one of the big challenges of the project. In order to generate text, you need a ton of written text. In order to generate sound, you need um, a lot of the sound. And you have to split it up. So you create these training sets. And let's say you have, I don't know, a lecture. And you split the lecture up into individual pieces of sound with a transcription. Um, so you have the transcription and you have the sound that correlates to it. Now, the computer 
can try to generate sounds based on the transcription, right? So if you, it sees these um, words, it generates a spectrogram, and then you can compare that to what he actually said. So you can try to generate the output, and something will be totally off, and other things will be closer. And you'll start to close in on something that's fairly close to, to the training data that you supplied it. And over you know, a lot of data, eventually you can kind of hone in on all of these little nuances. But again, it takes a ton of data, like you need a really good training set and clean data, and you need a powerful computer to run that for a long time. It's kind of like walking on a beach, right? Like if you, if you have a bunch of people and they – like if just, just imagine there's no sand, the sand and nobody's touched it. It's just perfect sand, right? But then you take a bunch of people and you, they run around the beach you know, all day and then they leave. At the end of the day, there's going to be a bunch of tracks in the sand, right? They've, they've disturbed it somehow. And now there's all these patterns in the sand, right? Um, that's kind of like training. They, there's going to be parts that are deeper and parts that are shallower. There's going to be parts where everyone walked and parts where no one walked. And that pattern that they left in their wake, that's kind of what the training data does to the neural network. It leaves this pattern in its wake. And if you put other things through the pattern, it puts an output that could be a voice or text. So that's how um, that's kind of how it learns. And the video is that something you're just gonna have to animate, or or can is that the same concept? Same exact concept. When it concerns Terence McKenna, the the part that we have the least material is video, right? Right, it's true. Um, but video is also one of the easier things to do because we intuitively know what he looks like. So you could you could solve that last piece by just animating him. You could just create an avatar of them, you know what it's supposed to look like. And then you would have to just do some kind of um, facial expression mapping, you know, and lip syncing and to make it talk. So the that part, like you could sculpt that digitally and have something that looks like him. Um, so even though we don't have as much data as we do for the audio portions of it, you could just create an avatar. So I'm not, that, that part isn't as difficult to me conceptually. Would you pick like the later in life or the younger one or I haven't even thought about it honestly um right now I'm just concerned with I'm still worried about getting a cleaner um data set for the the text generation and like creating a better training set for the the speech because it takes so long to get those well um uh good or bad I've already supplied the internet with almost 300 hours of my own voice so <laughs> I could also be digitally uh, created in the future by my children, I guess. You, you totally could. And then um, if you ever had to like take a day off, maybe you could just have that generate your podcast for you. I actually did one podcast, the intro and the outro, a while back. But all I did was I recorded uh, the computer reading the script so I didn't have to speak myself uh, uh, as a joke, you know, but that's the closest I've done. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of stuff is coming where... Um, You'll be able to create, you know, a, a digital version of yourself to do exactly those type of things. I see, I see um, spaces like audiobooks totally getting disrupted by this. Um, right now, you have to hire a voice actor or you have to hire someone to to narrate an audiobook. But very quickly now, you'll be able to have just a library of voices, and you can have a computer read that stuff with almost 100% accuracy very quickly um, and get a great result. And then maybe you go in. And you have some kind of a, an editor or a director change the performance at certain parts. But, you know, you'd be able to have an entire book narrated really quickly without any mistakes. 
And and also, you know, because when I did that very simple thing, you know what I mean, when you highlight a text and you just push speak, uh, it, you can tell it's, it's a computer, but uh, this will sound like a human voice. You you couldn't tell the difference. Um, it's, it's getting better. Uh, right now you can still tell the difference, but it's getting close. And in the future, yeah, you won't be able to tell the difference. Okay, so uh, what would you suggest the people who work in the audiobook industry do? Uh, they start learning programming or something? Uh, I think they'll just get disrupted. Um, people, I, I think that that stuff's going to go away. Machine learning is going to disrupt a lot of professions. Um, so yeah, either that or um, you know, if you have a particularly good voice and you own the intellectual property rights to it, like say you have a good voice or you're a celebrity, um, this could be another form of revenue for you that's really scalable because right now let's say i don't know so someone who has a, a good voice let's say james earl jones darth vader right um say he creates a model of his voice that talks exactly like him right now if he wanted to do a project um he can only do one at a time you know he can only talk he can only read one book at a time but if he has this model and he owns the rights to it he could narrate a thousand of them at a time and that that'll be scalable so it seems like um the people at the top of that food chain might profit immensely. In a sense, I guess the computer could do an audiobook in a very short time. I mean, couldn't it just like a 400-page book produce it in an hour or something? Just, I mean, it wouldn't have to in real time read it, right? Couldn't it just program it down to a, a file that's... Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't have to read it in real time. So it could just generate that stuff. And so, um, you know, there there's opportunities there for people to scale based on, um, you know, the owning the, the rights to their digital voice or their digital avatar. So it'll benefit some people, but other people will be squeezed out of the market probably. I mean, you could actually, in any voice, then uh, just have an audiobook of every book ever written. Yeah, eventually you could just maybe select the voice that you wanted to read it, right? Um, so that you could do the it wouldn't have to be pre-processed but you could just select from a from a you know bank of voices that you like and say okay i want this guy to read it or i want this person to read it and hear it however you'd like to if this technology becomes uh, easily available like as an app or something maybe you could just write a I mean, you know, when you go to, uh, when you call to get a job or something, maybe it could do the speaking for you if you're nervous or when you call a girl to ask her out, maybe you can write a good script and then you call, but you don't have, you have the computer do the, the work for you. Yeah, that's almost like a man in the middle attack, like in, in hacking where you say something, it gets processed in real time and comes out the other end, um, you know, polished. So have do you have a, a, a past? in uh, hacking yourself? Uh, have you worked with uh, uh, computers all your life? I've worked with computers all my life. I haven't really done any hacking unless you take that in the original sense of the term, which is just trying to kludge stuff together in order to make it work, which in that case, that's exactly what I'm doing with this project. This is a complete hack um, where I'm taking a bunch of things, putting them together and trying to make it work. But yeah, um, I've I've been playing with computers my entire life, and I and I really enjoy technology. So it's it's pretty fun for me to be able to bring them together on a project like this, where I can take psychedelics, someone like Terrence McKenna, who I really enjoy listening to, and technology, and kind of play with them all together. My computer skills are, you know, 
just average uh, I can uh, operate the computer and or uh, fix it uh, to be the way I want it to be or you know HTML code or something like that but I could never like go beyond that so what do you think is the biggest misconception for people who aren't uh, as deep into it about what actually uh, programming or the things behind the scenes of a computer what's the biggest because when you watch a Hollywood movie when you see like a hacker even I know that's not really how it works you know because it's usually often done in a very stupid way you know often with the Uh, loads of numbers just rolling down the screen, but uh, it, it doesn't look realistic. Yeah, that's that's a pet peeve. I think if you're I think if you're involved in anything, when you see it in a movie, it always tends to irritate you, right? Because it's never the way that it works. Like when you're when you're programming, there's never just lines of code scrolling past you. That never happens. Um, it's it like when I when I would watch movies or TV shows with my, my – well, actually TV shows with my wife, if they ever have code that they're scrolling on the screen, I'll always pause it to try to read it. Um, and sometimes it's interesting. Some shows will try to, to actually have code there and other times it's just kind of random garbage. But um, I think that's why you need to just suspend disbelief when you see stuff like that because they're, they're going to do things um, – and I, as a filmmaker, I totally – can sympathize with it you have to do things that are interesting on the screen right you have to make it cinematic but sometimes what's cinematic isn't necessarily what's accurate or real and what's real and accurate isn't you know it's boring it's not something that you want to see so you know one of the funniest things i always look for though is when um when when people like say there's a lot of times people associate like a monitor or something with a computer um i always think it's kind of funny when when i see stuff like that but For the most part, yeah, you just have to tune out of that or you're just going to get irritated. Every movie made in the 90s, every time a character got an email, there was always like, a com the computer always went, you've got email, and then on the screen, there's like this spinning letter coming and opening. I mean, I've never seen that uh, on a computer or I don't think there will be, ever be like that either. Yeah, that's just, the, that's just the film industry. They need audio cues. They need something visual to see. Um, so they latch on to stuff like that. Actual computer programming, for the most part, is, at least for me, it's solitary, fairly silent, and kind of boring to watch. So um, you were doing a crowdfunding for this project. Uh, can you talk a bit about that? Well, I'm attempting it. I, it. I think it's a little bit esoteric right now. I'm not sure if people understand it. But my main goal is just to get a better processor to um, train the models. So we're kind of at a point right now where the, the cloud the cloud resources that I'm using can't get much further. I'd have to run these things a lot longer. Um, and it's in order to train, like if you're going to buy the resources that you need on the cloud, that's super expensive. Um, it's almost, right now at least, it's a lot cheaper to just make your own, you know, training box for that. So we're just, I just want to get a box where I can run these um run the training for this model over a long period of time and get better results. Um, I don't really understand it, but what, what is it you need more of? Is it like, uh, like terabytes or is it some, something else? What, what is the, the power? So you need, um, you need to have a, right, right now I'm using GPUs, which are graphics cards, right? So computers have graphics cards in them and the graphics cards are really fast at doing certain types of operations faster than a CPU. Um, And you can get a bunch of them. So you could 
like a lot of times if you're trying to train machine learning models, you'll have a computer that has, let's say, four really good graphics cards in there, and you are using all of those cards to train um, your model. So you're just you're just training on those cards nonstop and improving the performance of the model. If you don't have that, you can still train, but it's going to be much, much slower. So, you know, to improve things like the sound of his voice, like if you generate, um, if you generate sound from this, from one of the models that I have right now, it kind of sounds like him, but it sounds very robotic and it doesn't have, you know, the lilt and rhythm of his voice. It, it sounds a little bit robotic and maybe it goes fast like this. You know, it, it doesn't have all of the nuances. In order to get that, you just need to, to train something for you. It's kind of like if you do a martial art, right? Um, if, if you want to really get a move down, you have to train it for a long time. You can't just train it two days or whatever, and then now you got the move. Like, you have to train it for a long time. And sometimes, you know, maybe after a couple years of doing the same thing, like an armbar, you finally get it, right? So it's, it's similar in that respect, that it needs a lot of repetition. So if you had like a hundred of those graphic cards, it would go faster? Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can, I, I'm not aware of a, a way to set it up that way, but I'm just trying to get a machine that has like two to four. Um, we'll see how it goes. Even if the, even if that doesn't work, I'll figure something out. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not really doing, I don't have a goal for this project, right? Like I'm not doing it to make money. I'm just doing it cause I thought it was cool. I was like, man, this would be interesting. I want to see what it says. So I'll, I'll be playing with it regardless. And, um, I should start publishing. I'll be, I'll be publishing some of the results soon. So I'll put up like a little Twitter page or, you know, something on Facebook and start publishing the results there just so that people can read it because some of the stuff that it says is pretty cool. I don't know if it's true, but I heard something about uh, Google, because uh, the the reason Google searching on Google is so effective is because they download the internet and then then you just search their database. That's why it goes so fast, or that's why it went faster than everybody else when they started. But also that they are u- doing machine learning with everything that's online available. I don't know. Have you heard anything about that? Google is all about machine learning, and pretty much all all tech companies now are using it. Um, it's just it's just a better way to do things in a lot of cases, and it can give you results that you can't get any other way. So all tech companies across the board that are at the at the forefront of tech are heavily invested in machine learning. It's it's the thing that a lot of people are doing right now, and you kind of have to. Um, if you don't have a solid base in this, you're just not going to be able to compete. Like all the people in the software or computer industry uh, you said it's all about machine learning, but maybe th- all those people working at Google will, will be obsolete if the machine learning reaches a certain level. Well, you, you'll you definitely be able to leverage machine learning to generate code faster, so a certain number of people won't be required. Um, at the same time, you still need you still need the genesis of the ideas. And I think where that's, that's where creatives become more important. Um, once like the technical skill becomes a commodity, then the the creative part of it becomes even more important. So the idea itself. Um, I'm not saying that machines can't be creative and that they can't replace people um, in terms of coming up with things, creating, making them, building them. But you know, I, I I wonder who the audience for that is. I know that for me, I do a lot of this stuff because I like it and because other people that I know also enjoy it. So um, yeah, I, I think I think for sure people can and will be replaced by machine learning models. I think that computers can evolve to the point where um, they can come up with ideas and execute them on their own. 
But as long as there are people, there's still going to be other people that are interested in them as well. So um, as long as you're creative and doing things that you enjoy and you have people that, that share it, you know, um, I, I think you'll be okay. Like, like you, for instance, right? Um, sure, you'll be able to have a computer think of, you know, podcast scripts and then hold conversations, but it won't be you and the people that like you um, won't necessarily want that. I mean, it, you could try to impersonate you too, but um, I think that's a long way off. I think there's just going to be, th- there will be a niche for people to relate to people. What would be cool is if you somehow imported every film ever made into a, a machine learning system and then the the thing it's supposed to do is to figure out a, a, a film that contains scenes that's never been seen. Like you could eliminate everything that's ever been done and try to figure out how to portray a scene in a way that's never been seen before. That would be cool to watch. I, I think that, that's one of the cool things about machine learning is I think some of the greatest art um, that we're going to see is going to be produced by computers or artificial intelligences or augmented intelligences, like people that are augmented by these kind of tools. Imagine if you have artists and machines like this working in concert. All I, I think the future is going to hold some unbelievable art and experiences that we have not been able to imagine and probably couldn't imagine. You know, every time we, we can't see down the road, you know, an unlimited distance, you can only see a little bit ahead. So as you start forging, you know, down the path, more things become possible with machine learning um, and the kind of the kind of analysis that it makes possible we'll be able to see even further down, which will give us more ideas about what's possible. So, yeah, I think some of the coolest things um, that have ever been conceived of or executed in human history, I think they're still ahead of us. You know, we have an amazing amount of interesting things coming down the pipe, or as Terrence would have said, you know, the explosion of novelty. I think, I, I don't think he was wrong about that. I think novelty is definitely still increasing at a huge rate. It's not really machine learning, but uh, there's a film by... Lars von Trier called the boss of it all, and in that film he he because he's like a an artistic director that in that particular film he gave the power to a computer to choose angles and edits, and uh, he directed it and that, but he had no control over how it was portrayed in the end, except for the actors, of course. And it's a weird looking, it's a weird film. But it's not machine. It's quite old, so it's. I don't think they used many machine learning or anything like that. But uh, it has a weird vibe to it. The boss of it all. That sounds cool. I haven't seen it. I'll check that out. My wife, she's dyslectic, and uh, so she has problem reading and writing. But could like machine learning uh, learn her when she writes? It can learn everything wrong she does and then just instantly write it correctly yeah that sounds that's that's a pretty interesting application it it sounds like something that that could be done so i'm sure there's going to be millions of different applications Uh, once the thing it needs to be it needs to be an app you know easily use i mean for normal people to use that don't have any uh, computer skills well I, I don't know. I guess apps are things right now that, that we consider because we have phones, right? So we always have the phone with us, and then we run the, the app on the phone, and that's how we access the technology. But 
probably this stuff is going to become more and more ubiquitous, right? Like probably the apps will start migrating off of the phones and into the environment around you so that your the apps that are available to you may not necessarily even have to run on a device that you're in possession of and carrying. Um, I, I think definitely that's the that's the way stuff like that is headed so that, you know, you won't have to specifically pull out a phone and do it. Um, apps will be running in stuff all around you and your particular apps will know that you're there and be able to, you know, provide you the services that you get from them. So if you have any recorded audio already of Terms, we can, uh, we can listen to it now. Can you explain what we will be listening to? If we were listening to the one on the website, it's just a little hello world. I just generated a hello world um, piece of audio to prove that it could generate text. So this is a case where I am feeding it the words to speak. Um, there's also a, the, first, the, the first clip that's on the page is the first thing I ever tried to generate, and it's just noise. It doesn't sound like a person at all. So if you listen to that, you'll see where things started from. And then after a lot of training, you'll be able to hear in the hello world sample where it got to. Hello, it's nice to be back. I can't wait to tell you all of the amazing things I've seen. Well, it does, uh, you can tell it's not him, but it sounds very similar to his... Uh, it's getting there. <laughs> it's getting there. Because uh, I've listened to him so much, I recognize... I would reckon, if somebody played that to me, I would say, is that somebody trying to be Tens McKenna? <laughs> right, it, yeah. So it's you can see that like from where it started to where it's at, it's getting closer, but it still needs so much more training. So how long did it take those four seconds was it did it take long for it to to create that um i don't yes it did um to generate it or to get it to the point where it could generate that so generating the sound doesn't take that long um training the model to be able to generate that takes a longer time so when you heard that would would it figure out itself what was wrong or did, would you have to like tell it somehow that what's wrong so the thing that i have to do right now there's there's, there's two stages. The first one is generating text, and that's what I'm still working on. Um, in order to generate text, you have to take all of his lectures, right? And then you have to transcribe them. Um, and there's not really a good source for the transcriptions online because there are some places that have a lot of his talks archived. Like there's a website called asktmk.com, right? But um, when they were transcribing it, they had a bunch of different transcriptionists, and the transcriptionists are of varying quality and accuracy. So um, you would have certain things that may or may not have been what he actually said in the audio. So when I would when I would match up some of the transcriptions to the audio, some of the stuff was kind of different, right? So in order to have a clean you know, training set, I pretty much had to go through the audio myself and transcribe it and then stop whenever he talked about something um, that I didn't know what it was. So hold on. Like... There was um, what is that? When he he was there was a word he kept saying I didn't know what it was, um, so I had to look it up and I was like oh he's saying Desmanthus illinoisensis right he's talking about bundleweed but when he uses the scientific names those things weren't transcribed sometimes, you need to have an accurate training set um, to do that so that's that's the first part and that's still ongoing um, cleaning that up is the thing once that's done, then you have to match that with the audio one for one. Um, and create like an audio file that that matches perfectly with the transcription um, and has you know timestamps and things like that. So that's an even longer process. So basically, like once that's all done, 
he'll talk and sound a lot more like the actual Terrence McKenna. But until you know, until that process is completed, you know, this is we're going to get incremental improvements. It's not going to be that huge of a jump. How much text do you need? I mean, like how many uh, normal written pages? I don't know in terms of written pages. Um, I know that my t current training corpus has. 533,876 words in it. Um, I'm not sure how many pages that is, but it's a lot. So it's about, I don't know, it's like three or four megs of of pure text. He often laughs also. Can it imitate laughter? Um, I, I think that it could. I, I haven't heard any, um, but I don't know. You, another person that has a lot of audio is Alan Watts. It would be cool if you you programmed or machine learned like for instance those two people and then you can make them have a, a debate right stuff like that isn't that an awesome idea man like um i i would totally love to do something like that that's it's, it's a little bit further down the line because we still have to get this one working better right it once we get um terrence mckenna is perfect for a twitter the digital terrence mckenna or mckenna ai as i call it um it's perfect for a Twitter type world where you only have a, a limited amount of characters, but wouldn't it be great to have an extended debate like that? I think that's awesome. So if people want to donate or follow the project, uh, how do they do that? So we have a domain name, terrencemckenai.com. Right now it's donate, it's redirecting to the Indiegogo um, page and, the, but soon it'll just have that project there and people can follow the, um, the social media handles. So if you want to, follow it on Twitter or on Facebook, whatever. Um, you can just follow this, this account and we'll, you know, I'll put out different, different quotes and text from it regularly. So you could just, you know, get a daily dose of digital Terrence McKenna or something like that. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you, man. This is a great podcast. Thank you so much for having me. divine mystery join us at patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist support the podcast and you will receive all the glory of the universe as well as my eternal thanks you can find a link at the website freedom is in the mind check out terrencemckennai.com so basically Terence McKenna and then you add an i.com. TerenceMcKennaI.com. Uh, check that out to find out more. Whatever the future holds, it sounds like it's going to be complicated for those still stuck in the past. Personally, I'm a bit in the middle. I hail progress and future technology. I think we should have AI for government populate the stars and embrace augmented and virtual reality 100%. But I'm also someone that loves the past, way back when things were simpler. So with that in mind, let's close this episode with Moonlight Serenade by the one and only Glenn Miller. And I also think Terence McKenna himself, kind of, 
uh, should have the final word. Freedom is in the mind. <laughs>